Hey everybody, welcome back to Evolved Athletics Radio. My name's Jim Young and this is episode 19. Uh, today we're going to be talking about cryotherapy and some of its uses, some of the positives and some of the negatives. Uh, so go ahead and stay tuned. So as promised, we're going to talk about cryotherapy today, and this is something that's been interesting for me for uh, quite some time now. It's not something that I've done as of yet, but it is something that I plan on doing uh, fairly soon. So because of that, I wanted to do some digging in to see you know, what kind of information is out there and what the efficacy of this is for the particular use that, that I'm looking to use it for, which in my case is sore muscles and recovery, which does seem to be quite a bit of information out there, but uh, let's see how much is actually grounded in science. So where I want to start first is just the the fact that there's a few different uh, methods of application of cryotherapy, and one of them is cryosurgery, uh, which is the application of extreme cold to destroy abnormal disease tissue. Uh, so I'm not going to go much further into that just because that's not the application that I'm looking for. There is ice pack therapy. Now we've kind of seen this before, uh, especially if you follow CrossFit, which I do sometimes. It just depends on what I'm watching. But the CrossFit games more specifically, and you, you typically see like ice baths and things like that, that would fall under ice pack therapy. Uh, which has shown uh, some benefits, but not as much as one would think. Cold spray anesthetics. Uh, this is something that I haven't seen used uh, in person. Uh, and to be honest, this isn't something I've actually seen at all, but apparently it's a growing trend. But essentially what it is, is uh, a cold spray that's used from like, say, an aerosol spray, uh, but it's my understanding is that it's used more short term or for for short term relief. Uh, so ordinary spray cans uh, can contain a number of different substances, but ultimately they're used to numb the skin prior to or possibly in place of local anesthetics. Um, it, this this can also be used to reduce soreness and pain. Again, this is temporary, um, so depending on what you're having done this might not be something that you would use long-term with, say, sports injuries or something something to that effect. So my interest lies in this next one, which is called whole-body cryotherapy. So this is kind of neat because they use two different methods to cool a smaller area or room that you're enclosed in. And one of those is using liquid nitrogen, and the other one's just a refrigerated cold air, so like walking into a refrigerator, essentially. Uh, there doesn't seem to be an increase in efficacy out of, out of either route that you take because they're still looking at the temperature. They're still using the same temperature, so it doesn't seem to matter what method they use to cool the room. Uh, but essentially, you walk into this enclosed uh, environment with minimal clothing, so it does seem to be that the most sensitive areas of your body do have some clothing. Uh, so for instance, for guys, you're going to walk in, um, you might have some shorts on, some smaller shorts, gloves, a headband to cover your ears, and then maybe a nose and mouth mask, depending on the unit that you're walking into. 
women are going to be the same, but obviously they're going to be wearing a, a top uh, that obviously guys aren't going to wear. So next I want to look at some of the things that people claim as positives for cryotherapy. And boy, <laughs> are there a lot. Uh, but I'm going to stick with uh, just a few. Uh, some of these include uh, reduces migraine symptoms, uh, numbs nerve irritation, helps treat mood disorders, reduces arthritic pain, may help treat low-risk tumors, may help prevent dementia and Alzheimer's disease, treatments of atopic uh, dermatitis and other skin conditions. So that in of itself is kind of interesting. Uh, most common side effects of any type of cryotherapy are numbness, tingling, redness, uh, irritation of the skin. This is kind of interesting because then I go back, um, you know, I'm looking at a couple of these different websites here. Then I go back and look at the American Academy of Dermatology uh, Association. So this is the governing body for uh, medical doctors that, that obviously work in dermatology. So dermatologists fall under this. Um, their stance on this is that cryotherapy can be quite hazardous to the skin. And from what they're reporting, it does seem to be that whole body cryo, uh, cryotherapy, whoo, whole body cryotherapy has proven to injure skin. Now we kind of know this. If we stand outside in the winter for too long, uh, for those of us that live in uh, northern states uh, where we we see a lot of snowfall and get pretty cold, we know the dangers of frostbite. I mean. We may not have experienced it personally, but we've seen things like frostbite before. Um, but some of the other things that they're also reporting is frozen limbs. So apparently somebody um, walked out of one of these units after a three-minute session and her arm was frozen. And then upon thawing, she developed painful swelling, blisters, and third-degree burns. Uh, this this type apparently is a severe frostbite. So frozen limb in this particular instance was just severe frostbite. Uh, some individuals developed a rash uh, from using one of these, uh, you know, whole body cryotherapy units. And there's, you know, other instances that they're, that they're citing here. And this is on the uh, American Academy of Dermatology's website. So you can, you can jump right on there and, you know, you'll be able to read some of this yourself too. Uh, but some of the other things that they're they're saying here is that cryotherapy and whole body cryotherapy differ. Um, so apparently cryotherapy, when used by a board certified dermatologist, um, are able to apply this to things such as warts and precancerous growths and other skin conditions. Um, that's cryotherapy. So that's a treatment that apparently we've been using for about 100 years. Um, coincidentally, this is something that I've actually had hap, uh, done on my hand uh, when I had a, a pretty massive wart on my, my palm. So, um, And it was quite painful. So when I'd grab the barbell to do, say, like a deadlift or bench or something like that, it was quite painful. And this was one of the procedures that they used to uh, help remove that, that wart. Uh, if mine serves me correctly, it, it actually took a couple of treatments, but that's what they used. And it was it was quite uncomfortable because they use really low temperatures to, to freeze and to kill the, the ward off. So this is all nice, but it, it doesn't really seem to touch on what I'm using it for. It would be more for um, you know sports injuries and recovery. So what I did is I did some digging around and found a Harvard Health Publishing 
from Harvard Medical School, and they wrote an article called Cryotherapy, Can It Stop Your Pain Cold? Kind of an interesting title, um, but essentially what they do is they go through and they break down uh, what I just talked about, and they say that the idea comes from simple observation of applying ice or other types of uh, cryotherapy or cold treatment that seem to provide pain relief on inflamed, injured, or overused muscles. Now, we've seen this before. Um, RICE, for instance. So somebody that gets injured, we use RICE, right, which is an acronym for rest, ice, compression, and elevation. So ice is one of those things that we use as, say, like a first aid. So it makes sense, you know, that we would use uh, cold temperatures to recover from sports and and injuries. So, th- I mean, this makes sense. However, the, the problem with this is there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of evidence that shows that it works on a consistent basis. So we might see, for instance, we might see a lot of anecdotal reports where, body will, where people will say, uh, well, I do ice baths after a hard workout and I feel better. I feel recovered. I, you know, I'm able to perform at a higher level of intensity. Now, that's fine, but that's anecdotal. And the reason anecdotes aren't all that useful is that they're typically not repeatable, right? Which is why we look for research. Research is repeatable, you know. When you do research, for those of you that haven't done research, essentially what you do is you you ask a hypothesis, you ask a question, then you try to answer it. And everything that you do from that point on, you document. So everything from the experiment design to data collection to the statistic model that you use to uh, decant and break down the data, you know, to make it more usable information to the discussion section, you know, all of that stuff is documented. And the reason it's laid out in such detail like that is so people can repeat that research. And one of the things in exercise science and exercise physiology specifically is that we don't have a ton of strong evidence on some of the models that we use or some of the modalities and therapies that we use Um, You know, we see this with exercise programming and things like that. We have a lot of weak research out there that's, you know, not repeatable or hasn't been repeated. Okay. So the things that are repeated, obviously, you know, you get enough data put together and that gives you a strong case to say, hey, these are the things that work. But cryotherapy, whole body cryotherapy doesn't seem to have that at this point. There does seem to be some research going on. But just there's not a ton to say, you know, whether this is something that is going to be, you know, advantageous for individuals. Um, and what it what it seems like uh, after reading this article by Harvard, uh, the Harvard Health Letter, is <laughs> they don't seem to have a lot of confidence in cryotherapy's usage. Now. I'm, you know, and I'll put links to some of this stuff uh, in the description too, so you're able to take a look at it. But, you know, my two cents on this is, I, I'm gonna give it a try. I, I'm gonna draw my own conclusions from it. I don't want to disregard science uh, completely, but I do think there are some occasions where some of the science we have doesn't always match up with some of the real world results that we're seeing. 
now I don't veer off. <laughs> I don't veer off in this direction often. Um, but I do think there is some validity in trying things that work for you, regardless if science you know, backs you up or not. At the end of the day, if it helps you become healthier and it helps you become more productive and it's not harmful to you or others, then I would say give it a shot. You know, give, give it a shot. But don't delude yourself into thinking that this, whatever experience you get from it or that I get from it, so not to delude myself, but whatever experience I get out of this, I, I'm not going to delude myself into thinking that this is scientific and what I'm doing. So if I do feel like uh, I'm, I, I feel healthier and more recovered and, and all these things, I'm not going to delude myself into thinking that that's science because that's not science. That's a, I become an anecdote at that point. Uh, so again, I, I think there's some uh, there's a lot of research that apparently needs to be done with cryotherapy to see if it's you know advantageous and or even something that we should uh, entertain the idea of recommending to other people. So at this point, I personally don't recommend this to people, not because I haven't tried it out, but because my stance is that most of my recommendations and decisions fall on the ability to determine with a high level of efficacy or probability that somebody's going to reach this particular outcome. Now, if I recommend cryotherapy, I can't predict any kind of outcome, right? I'm literally just tossing a coin in the air and whatever it lands on, that's what it lands on. And I can't, I have no ability to predict because there's just not enough research out there to determine what's going to happen. So I'm still going to do this, but this is something that I'm taking on myself. Um, I I wouldn't claim any benefits, obviously, right now because I haven't tried it. But even afterwards, I, I really wouldn't claim any type of benefit from it, uh, regardless of what kind of outcome I, I experience. But in any case, that's my two cents on cryotherapy. I did have a couple of questions regarding that, which is why I brought this up in a podcast episode. But if anybody has anything that they want to add to that, as always, uh, you can email me at evolvedathletics at gmail.com. I'm all ears and I'm always willing to discuss stuff. So uh, thanks for staying till the end and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody, before I close out this episode, I just, again, want to say thank you for listening to these episodes. I really appreciate your patronage. And uh, before you go, if I could have you do one favor, uh, take a look at the description of this particular episode, actually every episode, and what you'll find is a link to a Facebook group that I've started called Evolved Athletics Community. And what I want you to do is go ahead and click on that link and go ahead and join the Evolved Athletics Community. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be doing is uh, taking all the content that I've put together and slowly start to add it into that uh, Facebook group. And I'm going to start closing down some of the other sites. So, for instance, the Patreon page that I started about four or five weeks ago, I'm, I'm shutting that down. And uh, I also had a course site that I've been building out. I'm going to be shutting that down. And the content that I would have put on either of those sites is going to be located right in the Facebook group. So uh, Facebook has this new option to create units within Facebook groups depending on how you set up you know, the group. And one of the reasons that I'm doing this is I got an awful lot of feedback that said, uh, Jim, you're, you're starting to spread out your material again in too many different places. The podcast is nice. The emails we get are nice. 
But with the course site and with Patreon and the podcast and the blogs and you know all this other stuff that I'm putting together, it, it was it sounded like it was be, becoming too much and people didn't want to jump around to all of these different platforms. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start using um, as few platforms as possible. So obviously Facebook is going to be one of those uh, podcasting. I'm always going to be podcasting. Uh, so there's there's nothing that at this point is really going to deter me from doing that. I like doing it. I like talking. Uh, at some point, maybe I'll start doing uh, a little bit of video. But nevertheless, what I'm going to be doing is really uh, consolidating all of that content that I've put together. Uh, even some of the blog posts, I'll start to put directly into Facebook now. And hopefully this helps. Um, so that way we can get people uh, into one area and maybe start to discuss some of the content that's provided. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is people tend to do better when they have social supports. And I think it's one of the reasons why Facebook groups are so popular because people are able to join them and and get that support that they're looking for. So uh, again, just take a, a couple of seconds and uh, check out the description of the podcast, look for the Facebook link, and go ahead and join, and I'll see you inside. Again, thanks everybody for taking the time to listen, and we'll talk to you soon.